So we are, uh, as I said, continuing the series in the book of Romans. We started this at the beginning of the summer as we've been working our way uh, through this, this, this big, long letter of Paul, chapter by chapter, and seeing all that, that is, is uh, a part of it and all that he's taught us through it. Um, as, we, um, as we have studied this Apostle Paul, and many say his best work, and the most, but it's the most foundational letter um, that Paul wrote. And, and as we know, he wrote more than half the, the New Testament, and we see all these different letters. And, and again, this, the book of Romans is a letter he wrote to the church that was in Rome. And, and again, they dealt with all kinds of different things in their culture. Uh, and we saw in the first eight chapters, the first half of the book, um, he addressed the way of salvation. And he talked about how we are saved, why God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, you know, and, and um, again, how we receive him as our savior, right? As we believe that he was the Messiah, right? He lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and that we are saved through grace by faith. And we saw this again, and it all culminates in chapter eight of Romans, where we saw some just foundational, uh, you know, truths of our faith with several even popular memory verses in chapter 8. And then we see, if we move into the next section of the letter, then in chapters 9 through 11, we saw there's a little subsection here when Paul gets very personal and very practical. And he reiterates this way of salvation, and it all culminates again in this kind of three-chapter section. And then last week, we started the final section of the letter with chapter 12. And he starts with chapter 12 in this Uh, final section with the first three verses as he starts describing the spiritual journey that we are on as believers and as committed followers of Jesus. Now he continues in this theme that he started in 9 through 11 in being very personal and very practical. They said, but instead of now from the way of salvation, how it affects our day, now he moves on to how it affects our daily life. And what will our daily life look like as we move forward in our faith? Right, as we journey forward, and again, um, he, he addresses several different life topics and gives us a direction on how to navigate through the ongoing transformation as we journey forward in our faith. As I said last week, the, the first three chapters of, of 12, he, he talks about the, the transformation that we, that we um, receive as we continue to grow in our faith, right, that he changes the way we think and transforms us into a new person, uh, gives us these, and then we see the last part, the rest of chapter 12, as he talks about the, the first life topic, which is church life. And we saw last week, again, that we interact, we, he calls to be a part of a church, to interact as the body of Christ, that he, you know, describes us as a member of the church, not like a member of a country club, but yet a member of a body, right? That we are a functioning part, we're all different, right? Just like the different parts of our body do different functions, but yet they're all important, they're all needed, and we're all supposed to work together as the body of Christ. And, and, and he dresses a few different things about church life and even about viewing each other with love and, and with, with grace and forgiveness and not taking revenge. And I go, none, none of us really understand why he addresses revenge in church life. I know that doesn't make any sense to any of us, right? Um, but again, we, we see, again, these things he gives us about church life. And now today, as we continue on our study of Romans, we're moving on to Romans 13. Okay, and so Romans 13 is going to be our text for this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, I invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 13. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles that you're welcome to use in the seat pockets, and you can grab one of those 
And again, notice on the outline uh, in the bulletin is the page numbers where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Uh, and so as we look at that, we're going to start off in Romans 13. Our first uh, section is, is verses 1 through 7, and, and where we see Paul address life topic number 2. So again, one was last week in church life. Life topic number two um, is authority figures. And so again, what are, we, what are we supposed to do as followers of Jesus, right? And with the authority figures that are in our life and the structure that have been put in place. So we're going to, again, verse read verses one through seven. So Romans chapter 13, starting at verse one, where it says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Okay, as we read these words, again, these are not the most popular words of Paul. Okay, these are not ones that we go around quoting all of the time, unless maybe you're in a position of authority, right? But uh, again, but as we read these, these words and this advice about how do we do life in this area of, of authority, and we see Paul gives us several different things that we need to keep in mind as we do exactly what it says from the very first line, right? Is to submit to the authorities in our life. Okay, now, the first thing we need to understand, even in these first few verses, we see that Paul establishes that authority and structure are God's idea. Okay, authority and structure are God's idea. There, it was, it's put there by God. As you know, God created this world. He created us. He created the way that this all works. And, and God created authority and structure as a part of his creation. Now, as we look through scripture and look at the character of God, is God is the God of details, right? And of structure. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament and you see the way that he dealt with the Israelites and, and different things, whether it was instructions on what to do next or even what to build or how to build it, is it's very, very detailed. And God built this structure into what he told them to do. And, and the same God that they served and worshiped is the same God that we serve and worship. And he is the God of details and a God of structure. And, and as we see that, Right? Paul establishes that this authority and structure that we see in our world is put there by God. It was his idea. He created it. And with that in mind, we realize that all of us, no matter where we are in life, have different levels of authority in our life. Now, again, the, the kind of first context, obvious context of this passage is government authority. Now, I would say is that he speaks to far more than just government authority, especially in these first few verses. 
he established because we all have many different levels of authority in our life. Now, these levels of authority and the structure that we have in our life tend to, to change in the different phases of our life. Right? I mean, think about our childhood and think about as a child, we have certain authority figures in our life that, that are, we're surrounded by it a lot. Right? In fact, we're kind of at the bottom rung of the authority of this world right? as kids. And as that phase of our life, we know the first and foremost authority in our life is our parents. And, and again, God gave us our parents, right? And it's a part of his design as we grow up. And, and yet, um, again, parenting is, is a hard job. Okay, one that you never realize how hard it is until you have a child, right? And, and again, I, I remember, I've, I mean, I had all kinds of great ideas about parenting until I had kids. Right? And then all of a sudden you realize that, wow, there's a lot that I didn't know, right? Or whatever. But as a parent, you're the natural first authority within your kids' lives. Okay, now even as kids, again, we, we, I mean, we grow up with our parents, right? And again God, again, God designed it that way. We're supposed to have that authority and structure in our life because it's good for us. Right? But not just as kids. Again, it seems very obvious as a kid where you kind of land in that, right? You have your parents, then they have their teachers, right? And the different authority figures in their life. And, and as kids grow up, right, they start to change where they start to, in your life, again, the phase of your life start to change. And, and where you have more authority over your own life, right, as you grow and as you move into new phases of life. And, but, but yeah, we all have a level of organizational leadership and authority in our life. As a kid, we see that in, in an organization like the school system. And like I said, we're, we're just, schools are all just starting up for this fall, and there's a structure within the school system, right, of, of teachers and of administrators and principals and district officials. And, and there, again, there's this, this hierarchy, right, of authority within the school system. And obviously, as kids, they, they know that, right, and they, they live into that as they go to school. But even as adults, Right? We are involved in several different organizations, right? and there is a certain structure of authority that is built into that. Think about your job or your career. Right? Is there is a structure of authority there. Right? You have your direct supervisor, then you have you know, the, these levels of authority, right? depending on the company or organization you're a part of, right? all the way up to the very top. Right? Same is true even within the church, and I think as the way the church is structured, we have different levels of authority right? And with whether it's, it's the pastor and the board and, the, you, know, and, and our, uh, you know, our denomination or movement, and like all of those kinds of things, right? We have these structures of authority that are built into our lives in these different organizations. Now, also though, as an adult, and, and the, the typical phase of life for an adult is we grow up and we get married, right? Just the scripture tells us we leave our parents and we, we are united to our spouse, Right now, again, we see in that, right, that God created, does that marriage. Again, that was God's design and his idea. And we, we get, you know, bonded to that person. And, and with that spouse, as you say, is that our spouse naturally has a level of authority in our life. Now, even as an adult, and that is we voluntarily give that to our spouse. Right, and we give them now to say, right, is, is I'm married to Maureen. And, and again, I voluntarily give a certain level of authority to Maureen in my life. Right? And I value her voice and her opinion. Right? Just as she also mutually, voluntarily gives that authority of me into her life. And so I, I don't mean to offend you at all, but to say is that Maureen's opinion is more important to me than yours is. And it, it should be. 
right? Because we, again, we're married, we're bonded. That was God's design, right? And, and when he thinks, we see those, those things built into our life. Now, even if you're not married, it doesn't mean that you don't have those authority parts of your life even as an adult. We all have these different areas and, and ways, again, that we continue to move through life. And then we have what seems more obvious and even in probably the original, a lot of content that we first think of when we read this passage, and that is our, our government authorities, right? Whether it would be our law enforcement, our first responders, right? Our community government to, to state government, national government, right? There are, there are world authorities, right? We, we see all of these things, and there's all these different ranks, and knowing that authority and structure, all of it was God's idea. Okay, and as a follower of Jesus, right, we need to remember the, right, exactly what Paul tells us in the very first verse, right? 13.1, he says, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Right, and, and we can know that, right, that God, again, as, as Paul's been establishing all the way through this, right, that God loves you more than you can imagine. Right? And God wants the best for you. And so these, this authority and these structures are put into our lives by God on purpose because it's good for us. Okay, to know that, that we have an authority that we submit our lives to. Okay, now as, as we realize that, then we move on to the next, these next verses in verses 3 through 5, okay, where Paul talks about the difference between submission and fear. Because those are two very different things. And he addresses both of them as he talks about this, this God-given uh, structure and authority, and, and, which is the next lesson we learn. And that is that submission to authority is not the same as fear of authority. Okay, submission and fear are two different things. Okay, submission means that even if I do something wrong, I know that whatever consequence I receive, it's going to help me to be better. If it, submission to that means, one, it would start by saying I would submit to the authorities and the rules and the, the boundaries that is given to me by authority figures. And if I break those, then I will then submit to the consequences that naturally come. Okay, now, if I fear authority, it really means that, that I am trying to avoid consequences as much as possible. Okay, and I really don't fear authority at all. What I really fear, if I'm fearing authority, is I'm fearing getting caught. Right, which is exactly what he alludes to here. He says, if you're not doing anything wrong, you have no reason to fear. Right, he says, these authorities and these structures are set in place to, to, to give you boundary markers to live within. Because structure and authority are good for you. And if you're afraid of it, it's because you're trying to go around that authority. You're trying to do something you're not supposed to do. What you're really afraid of is getting caught. And if you are fearing that authority, if you do get caught, right, then all you do is you complain and push back on whatever consequences are given to you. Because, again, I'm not really fearing authority at all. I'm actually fearing getting caught and being fear of, of, of those consequences that I don't want to live out. Right? And, and there's a big difference between submission and fear. You know, as, as we realize that, again, it all goes back to the, the, the fact, right, that the authority and structure are God's idea and that God loves us and it's going to be good for us. Uh, ma- many of you know that I spent many years in youth ministry before 
uh, I moved into to leading, leading this church. And, and as a, a part of our youth ministry structures, we had small groups. And so we had small group Bible studies. I had a group of high school guys that I um, met with every week. They'd come to my house on Sunday evening, and we went through a Bible study thing, and we you know, prayed for each other and kind of worked through these things. And there was one year I had junior and senior boys. And so the, these boys were, uh, you know, they're typical male teenage guys, right? And, and I mean, they could all drive and they had a certain level of freedom within their life. And, and, this, one, and this, this group this year, I had a, a, one guy in my group that, that every, every Sunday night, he'd show up, we'd sit down and like, what's going on? And, and every week he would tell us about, about how frustrated he was with his mom and how she just was on and riding him all the time and on his back all, and just, he was just frustrated and, and all these kind of things. And just week after week, in fact, it, it started to even become kind of a running joke within our group, right? Like we'd sit down every week and be like, all right, tell us this week, like what's, uh, you know, how, how horrible is your mom, right? Like whatever. And, and, and finally, as this just happened week after week after week, I don't know, one week we we're sitting there and he's telling me this and I was like, and I looked at him, I was like, hey, you know what? I have, I have something just, that, let's just pause for a second. So I think I have an idea that I believe would be, have a hundred percent success rate on getting your mom off your back. Right? And he's like, what, really? Like, and you know, all the other boys kind of, they're like, what, what, really? hundred percent chance, I'm like, hundred percent chance to get your mom off your back for good. Right? And, and of course, they're all like, what, what? I just, I'm like, stop doing stupid stuff. Right, and I got, you know, the dog head tilt confusion, look at, you know, like, all the boys are looking at me, they're like, what? Like, I, I'm like, I guarantee you that would work. Right, if you stop going around her, just, just submit to her authority, stop trying to get away with everything, I guarantee she'll let off. Right, and again, they're all looking, and this, this was like a huge light bulb going on for these boys, and it's like, just submit to the authority in your life. I guarantee it will work. Right, which is exactly what Paul tells us. He's like, again, do you fear authority or do you submit to it? Because there's a huge difference between fear and submission. Right, he's trying to get us to realize that if you're spending your time fearing authority, it's because you're trying to get away with something. Right, fear of authority is actually the fear of getting caught. And yet submission to authority is knowing that it, that it is a safety net in my life designed to help me. And then Paul gives us the results if we truly submit to the authority figures in our life. I said, whether that's your parents or whether that's your boss or whether that's whoever it is in your life, if you truly submit, the results of submission, he gives us in verse five. He says, so you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Again, he tells us there's, there's these two natural can, um, things that will happen in your life if you submit to authority. One is you won't be punished. It is that if you don't break the rules, you won't be punished, right? Or whatever that would be. No punishment. But the other one, that one's fairly obvious, but the other one he also says is a clear conscience. Now, th this is huge in our life. Because to live a life with a clear conscience is to live in freedom. And to live in joy of, of what's really happening around us. And you start to see the world completely differently with a clear conscience. It was, it was several years ago. I was, I was working with a guy. Um, he was a friend in my life that had gotten caught up in pornography. 
Hey, and I was working through some stuff with him and working through some counseling things and some Bible studies, and we were working through the process of, of healing from, from this horrible sin of lust. And I remember as we were working through that, there was a point where he started to feel the freedom that came from that bondage of that sin. Hey, and, and I remember he told me, he said, I never realized how much guilt I was carrying around all the time. It was this constant fear of like, what if my wife finds out? Or what if, what if this? Or what if that? Or what, you know, uh, he's like, I, I had this, it was just this constant weight on me all the time. And he's like, I never realized how much it was affecting every other area of my life. Right? Until he started to truly feel the, the healing and the freedom, right? Of being, of, of being let go of that habitual sin. Right? A clear conscience is a huge deal, right? And it's the natural result if we submit to the authority in our life that God has put there. And again, for him, right, a lot of that was even the authority of a spouse and just really worried about knowing all of the ramifications that that has, right, as as that came out. And like I said, you know, thankfully, again, he was able to find freedom and healing in that marriage. But so we see, though, that not just avoid punishment, but also a clear conscience, and it frees you to be who you really are if we submit to those authorities that God's put in our life. And then we see in verses six through seven, okay, where Paul now starts and he addresses, obviously in the context, government authority. Because he talks about paying your taxes and about doing all these, these things. Now, obviously, as he wrote this, the original context was referencing the Roman government, right? He was not referencing the American democracy that we have in our head when we think about government. But yet, as we think about that and see this advice again that he gives them about the Roman government, okay, the Roman government was a whole lot more ruthless and I'm sure as full of, just as full of corruption as our American government is today. Okay, in fact, as I think about the Roman government in that time, I'm glad to be an American, right, at this time. Okay, and yet, as we think about that, and as we look at our culture and, and the transferable, transferable principles that he addresses here as far as respecting the government authority within our lives, right, as I will say, and I don't feel like it's a very big leap to say that our culture today has lost respect for government positions. Again, I'm not making a political statement here. I, again, I, I mean, whatever your political views are, whatever candidate you want to support, or whatever it be, again, that's between you and God and your own life. Like, that, that uh, my opinion has no bearing on that for you. Okay, but what I am saying is um, that it's just the same thing that Paul says, right, is that we, there needs to be a certain level of respect for the authority and the positions that, and the structure that is set up in our government. And whether you like the person who's in that position or not, whether you voted for them or not, does not change the fact that he calls us as believers in Jesus to respect the authority that is put over us. Right? And we have lost respect for not just the president, but, but not just the position of the president, but so many in so many levels of our government. Respecting the office and the authority that comes with it is something we need to do because of our faith. And that's exactly what Paul says here. Okay, and so why is that true? 
right? No matter who the candidate is, I'm not talking about any specific party or candidate, right? But about the position. Why is it true? Because of our faith, we need to respect that. And ultimately, it's because of the last point, and that is because God is the ultimate authority. Right? It's not, it's not the person, it's not the candidate, it's not even, right? Because go back, remember the first point, right? It's there because God put it there. It was his idea. And whether it looks like the American government or any of the other world governments at this time, right, is to say that, um, that again, we should respect the opposite authority that comes with it because of our faith, because God is the ultimate authority. And just as what Paul says in verse 6, right, which is true then and it's true now that they are serving God in what they do. Now, again, I, I get it and I understand that, that, that many of those in our government uh, offices today are not believers. Right? And, and that will probably always be true. But even if they are not believers, it does not change the fact that God exists and that God is sovereign. And that they are there because God let them be there. Okay, in fact, this is exactly what Jesus tells Pilate when he's on trial before he goes to the cross. Right? Again, Pilate was a Roman government official. Right, and he stands in front of Pilate, and Jesus didn't say a lot to Pilate. Pilate thought he was trying to pry things out of Jesus. And yet, the, one of the things that Jesus does tell Pilate is saying, the only authority you have over me is authority that has been given to you by God. Okay, and that, that concept was true as it came out of Jesus' mouth and Pilate, and that concept is still true today. Okay, and, and as we think about that, again, we have this, this American dream, right, of being our own boss, right, of climbing the, the ladder until you are the boss, right? But the fact never changes that God is the ultimate authority, right? And no matter what position you reach in business, no matter what position you reach in government, no matter what position you reach, even in your own family, it, this fact never changes that God is the ultimate authority. Everybody submits to him. Right, and as we realize that, right, he kind of puts this, this, this bow on this structure and this safety net of accountability in our life. Again, even if that, if the only accountability you have is to God himself, like you have this structure in your life. Right, and then he moves on to the next life topic in the second half of the chapter. Okay, and life topic number three is our lifestyle choices. Okay, and we see him address this again in verses 8 through 14. So we're going to pick up here in Romans chapter 13 with verse 8, where he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet, these and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent for you. Uh, know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, 
Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Okay, as we, as we see again now this teaching on this next life topic of our lifestyle choices, uh, we, we start out um, with the first few verses, verses 8 through 10, okay, where uh, Paul, he addresses the fact that the basis of every action, decision, and attitude should be love. Okay, the basis of every action, decision, and attitude should be love. Now, as we say that, even as you write it on your outline, you might be thinking, like, wow, that sounds really cliche. Right? Like, it just, it just, it's all about love. Right? And, and even though it sounds that way, I would say that it does not have to be sappy or cheesy for you to live this out. It, what it really means is that relationships matter. Again, love is a relational term. Right? How do we know what love is? Because God loves us. He shows us what love is because of our relationship with him. A relationship that is possible because of Jesus Christ. Right? And receiving our salvation. So as we do, what he's really telling us to do is that every action, every decision, every attitude in my life should be centered on relationships. And that's truly what we were created for. That's what really matters. Here we see in verse 10, he tells us, love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Again, this is not a new teaching. Paul's not making this up. He's just reiterating the teaching of Jesus. In fact, in these verses leading up to this, he quotes Jesus is teaching about the greatest commandments. Hey, we see that. And then in verses 11 through 14, we see this common theme that happens throughout the entire Bible of darkness being evil and light representing God and his holiness and his presence. And then he, he makes the point in verses 11 through 14 that your lifestyle speaks louder than you often realize. Okay, your lifestyle speaks louder than you realize. Because if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, even if you don't claim to be a follower of Jesus, people are watching your life. People notice the things that you do. People notice your attitudes. They notice the way you interact with people. And people are watching. Especially if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. They're watching. Right? And our, again, what is your life showing them? Okay, and many times we just go through life, and again, you can just go through life and live out your faith and not even realize that people are watching, right? But especially even as a parent, if you're a parent, you know this. You've had this moment, right, when your kid acts a certain way and you take a step back and be like, oh my goodness, I know where they learned that. And that really stings. Right, and yet again, people are watching, right? Even if it's not your kids, and I think you realize that, and you need to realize that people are watching. I'll tell you, when um, several years ago in our life, we, we were building a new house. We were moving in. We were waiting for a house to be built. And we, we ended up having to live with friends for, for a couple months while we were waiting for, for our house to be finished. Yeah, in that, it was just me and Maureen and Colin. Colin was still a little, little, little baby. And, and we, we lived with one family for, for most of the time. And then just some things happened. And we had two weeks from when we had to get out, be out of their house until we could move into our new house. And so we, we went and stayed with another couple from our church for the last two weeks, waiting for our house to be finished. 
And there's a couple we've done a lot of things with. And, and as we got there, they, you know, all of our stuff was in stores. And we would show up with our, with our suitcases and our baby. And we're kind of like, okay, we're here. We're going to live here. And, and the, the man of the, the couple, he, he tells me when we get there, he's like, I only have two rules for you for these two weeks. I'm like, all right. He's like, number one, he's like, just be comfortable. This is your house as much as ours for the next two weeks. Just, just live here. Be comfortable. Don't worry about it. Just, just live. I'm like, all right, that's, that, that's good. And he's like, and rule number two is just don't take the last beer out of the fridge. <laughs> all right, I can, I, I can live up to that. Right, and, and, and we went through that. And that now, again, he, I mean, they're just great people. Like I said, we had two weeks. We got into our house and, and through that. Now, to say it's just, again, Maureen and I, we mutually agreed, right, that we're, that we, we're not going to drink. Okay, now, again, I don't, I don't have any issue if you do, okay, but, but just that's what we've chosen for our lifestyle. Okay, and so obviously I hear, I'm like, well, I have a, no problem breaking number two, right? Like, it's just, it's just not even an issue for me. And so like I said, we lived, we moved out, we got it, and then it was several months later, okay, and this couple was preparing to leave and to, to leave and go on the mission field. Okay, and I remember talking with, with this, this, this guy and about just the process that God took them on, and, and again, he told me at that point, he says, hey, you know what, you guys living with us for those two weeks has, was a huge catalyst for us in getting ready to be able to do this. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he told me, I remember he said, he was like, you know what, before you lived with us for those two weeks, he said, I had never known a man that didn't drink beer before. And he said, and the fact that you never touched the beer in the fridge spoke volumes to me. And again, I had no idea. I just lived my life. I, did, I, did, I didn't even know he was watching. Right? And yet, I had no idea that he had even noticed or cared. But just to know that your lifestyle speaks louder than you realize. And you have no idea who's watching. And you have no idea how God's going to use it. And then we see, again, in Romans 13, verses 12 through 13, where it says, So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Because we belong to the day, we are people of holiness, of God's presence, and say, what are we showing other people? He says, take off the clothes of the dark deeds and put on this armor of right living. This is a very interesting kind of word picture as he talks about literally wearing, you know, your lifestyle, right, for the outside for everybody to see. But again, how do I put on the shining armor of right living? He gives us two things to do in verse 14 of how we do that. Okay, how do I put on the armor of right living? Number one is clothe yourself in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, have just as the presence of God to cover you. Again, this is not the point here, right? It's saying that I have more of Christ, that his presence is a part of my life, and it's a part of the transformation that's taking part in me as a follower of Jesus, that I'm growing in my faith, that I'm being more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, that I'm moving forward in my journey. And again, we go back to the point that it's not on my own power at all, but it's by God's presence that covers me with his power. And that is what is transforming me, right? And enabling me to live a different lifestyle. Because the fact is, if you try to do it on your own, you will fail. Right? He's reminding us we got to clothe ourselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Right? And that's what will change us. It's not by my power at all. Again, if you try to do it without Christ, if you are not a follower of Jesus, don't try to change your behavior to fit into a religion because that's not what God wants you to do at all. 
Okay, then the second thing he tells us to do is to not let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Now notice, he implies here that even as a follower of Jesus, even of being clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ, even of being transformed every day by following God, that I will still have evil desires in my mind. Right? He, he, he tells us, he's like, they will be there. Right? But the difference is that you don't let yourself think of ways to indulge them. Right? Where you say, come on in your mind, you just did it. Right? You didn't even think about it. Right? And now he's saying, no, don't even let yourself go there. Don't let your mind go there. Again, he's, we go all the way back to Romans 12 too, right? When he says, to be transformed by changing the way you think. It starts in your head. Right? And as God transforms the way you think, then don't let yourself think about ways to indulge those evil desires, but push those evil desires off. Right? Don't let yourself go there. Again, not by your own power, but by the power of God. And as we think about these two areas, this of government, of, of not just government, but authority figures in our life, right? as well as our lifestyle choices, right? realizing that we cannot do any of this on our own. If we can try, but we're going to fail, and we're going to get frustrated, and we're going to walk away. And that's not what God's asking us to do at all. Right? He's asking us to be transformed by his spirit. And when, when you accept Christ. And, but that's where I want to end today with this final thought. And that comes out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Okay, where this advice, again, by Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Again, what, what are you supposed to change in your life? Well, let God show you. Let him transform you by his power. Okay, and that is not possible if you are not a follower of Christ, if you never received him as your savior, right, then that's where it starts. You join the journey by receiving Christ as your savior and inviting him into your life, right? And then we start to move and trust and grow forward in our faith, being more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. Lord, today we acknowledge that there's nobody greater than you, God, that you are the ultimate authority. And God, we pray, Lord, that as we go today, God, that every, every moment, Lord, every action, every attitude, every desire, God, would reflect, God, that you are the authority in our life. And God, that we want to continue, Lord, to, to shine your light in this dark world. God, that we do that through our lifestyle. We do that through our attitude. We do it through so many things. But God, we pray that this week, Lord, we would take a step further in our faith. And God, that, that our, faith, our actions, Lord, would show people who you are. Lord, as we go this week, help us to shine your light in this world. God, as we start school, as we start this fall schedule, as all these things, Lord, we just want to glorify you in all we do. Lord, guide us as we go this week. Guide every step. We love you and thank you. And thank you, God, that you are the authority in our life. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>